Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, open those up to Genesis, the 11th chapter. We're going to be starting there in verse 1 in just a minute. Uh, Working through the first few verses. Don't worry, you see that long list of names and begats sitting there. Don't worry, we're not getting into that today. I wouldn't make that happen. But uh, today we are continuing our sermon series looking at what happened in the beginning. Working through uh, a book called Genesis, uh, the first book of the Bible. And today we have come to uh, the story of the Tower of Babel. Uh, Again, one of those heavy lifting stories from the book of Genesis. One of those stories that kind of makes us go, what is happening here? But I hope that we can dive into it and find a lot of really awesome truth for ourselves today. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the passage to you, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive right in, all right? Uh, Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Well, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Uh, They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, Come, uh, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Uh, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. Uh, From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the earth. Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father God, we come before you now to thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth it contains. Uh, We pray, God, that it would speak to our hearts. We pray that it would uh, truly enlighten us as to the things that we seek uh, that so often are apart from you or apart from your plan for us. And I pray that the realities of your word would be open to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to start off this morning with a bit of a confession. Uh, We had college student conference this weekend with the Gulf Coast BSU. We had a great time, took a great group. Uh, But in the hubbub of that, uh, my sermon journal, the little gray book you see me carrying when I get up here to preach, got left at the Perkinston BSU yesterday. So I have actually none of my notes. Uh, So if you see me constantly doing this, that's because the only notes I have are what you see up here. All right. So just know we are building this airplane as we are flying it. But don't worry, I have not lost a passenger yet. Uh, But what do we see here in this story of the Tower of Babel? One of those stories in Genesis that kind of leaves us scratching our head going, well, that's good Sunday school material for the kids, but but where does that apply to me? Uh, Well, the first thing that the Tower of Babel shows us is the Tower of Babel shows us what we seek. It shows us what we seek. Uh, You see, the flood has happened, and these are Noah's descendants, the the descendants of his three sons, uh, that that at this point are all still walking together. You might say, well, how does the whole world have one language? We have, you know, tens of thousands of languages on our planet today. Well, remember, these are all descendants of one family, so it's natural that they would all be speaking the same language. Uh, But look what they say. Uh, they're, they're all moving together. They're kind of staying together, kind of moving in one big mass migration. And they say to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Now that doesn't seem like a big deal. You probably, somebody in this room has a home made of bricks. We say, well, why is that 
a big deal. Uh, Well, it's because of what we see at the end of Noah's story. At the end of Noah's story, God gave man two very simple commands. All right, are you ready? I'm about to wake you up. God's two commands were have sex and travel. Okay? Uh, If you don't believe me, go back and look what God says to Noah's family. He says, be fruitful and multiply. And if you're wondering, in the Old Testament, how people multiplied, it's the same way they do today. Okay? And then the next part was he said, increase upon the earth and fill it. And so the idea is, make more of you, and you guys spread out and fill the earth. That's the plan. And so when these people say, well, let's make bricks, and let's settle down, what happens is they're actually, knowing that that was God's intent for them, saying, oh, we know that was God's plan, but, you know... We're all one big family here, literally (laughs) at this point, one big family. We all speak the same language. We've all traveled this far together. Let's settle down together. And that shows us the first thing that we seek. We seek control apart from God. We seek control apart from God. Do we have that bullet point, somebody? All right, may not be working. So sorry you type A note takers, you're on your own this morning. Look what they say. They said, come. Let us build ourselves a city. Now again, that doesn't seem so odd to us. We live in towns, we live in cities. Why is this such a bad thing? Well, it's not the fact that they are building a city so much that's the problem, but it's why they're building the city. It's the heart behind this action. Because what does a city represent for these people? A city represents a place where they can have security. A city represents a place uh, where they can feel like they belong. A city represents for them a place where they can have prosperity, where they can set up shop and and grow and have riches and wealth and the things of this world. You might say, well, Stephen, on on the surface, I mean, those things aren't all bad things. Don't we want to feel secure? Don't we want to feel like we belong? Don't we want to feel prosperous? Yes, we do. But it's the way they are going about getting the good things. Because where should Noah's descendants be finding their security? In God. Because don't they know what got their family all those years ago, many years ago at this point through the flood? Where should they be seeking prosperity? In God's blessings. Where should they be seeking to belong? They should be seeking to belong to God. But what this city represents for them is a way to control their security, control their prosperity apart from God. Well, how how does a city grant them that? Well, because a city is never going to command them to scatter across the earth. A city is never going to tell them, I want you to go here and do this. If they don't like part of the city they build, do you know what they can do? They can tear it down, and they can rebuild it exactly in how they want it to be. Can they see God? No. Can they get their hands on God? No. Can they hold God accountable when He does something they don't like? No. Can they control when God comes to them and says, Hey, I want you to go here and do this? No. But with the city, they can get their hands on it. They can control it. They can be the one in charge. They're seeking control 
apart from God. And can I tell you, we do the same thing very often. In different areas of our life, we seek to control our lives, our fortunes, our security apart from God. We do it with our finances, don't we? Isn't that why we need the bigger bank account or we need the promotion or we need to build our business up so big uh, that that maybe we don't run it the way God would have us run it? And we look at that and we look at, we go to regions.com and that's where we find our security, right? Because the bank says if things go wrong, this will see us through. And we seek that control apart from God. And we can't be the generous people that God calls us to be because 10%, that's out of line, let alone anything extra and above that. And so we seek control over something that's meant to be a good thing. Sometimes we seek control in our personal lives. And our sense of belonging and our sense of prosperity has to come from having the perfect marriage, doesn't it? And so we seek that just right person, right? We seek the one, right, that all the chick flicks have made us believe is out there, right? Because we're going to meet in a really cute way and then we're going to get to know each other and go on a few dates and then something's going to go horribly wrong but then somebody is going to come and stand in the rain and make a third act apology and then it's going to be happily ever after after that. Or if you like the Disney version, you meet, uh, fall in love, sing a duet and get married all within an hour and a half, right? But then when we seek that, And think, that's what will give me belonging. That's what will bring me prosperity. That's what will give me security. I'll feel like I can be secure in who I am because this other person loves me. Well, then we find out that there's no such thing as a perfect marriage because perfect marriages require perfect people and there are no perfect people. And so fights happen. Sometimes the bills, it's hard to get paid. Sometimes the kids aren't acting the way we wish they would. Sometimes our, our, our husband or our wife just doesn't get it. And then we begin to think, well, maybe I married the wrong person. Uh, maybe it's just this marriage. Maybe this isn't, this person wasn't the one. Or sometimes... Instead of seeking our our joy and our comfort and our belonging in God, sometimes we need something to help us get through the day. And so we turn to a bottle. And it's just one. And, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, I'm stressed. Work is crazy. Those people don't get it. And I'm the only one that's pulling my weight around there, you know, and it's hard. And the wife doesn't understand. So, so I need this just to help me make it through the day, just to help me unwind, help me relax. So it's just one. And then one becomes two, and then two becomes three, and then three becomes a six-pack, and that becomes a 12-pack, and pretty soon it's a 24-rack of cores. Or maybe we need a place where we can find some excitement. And you know, every time the dealer deals another hand of blackjack, there's a real rush there, because this could be the one. This could be the one that brings me prosperity. And pretty soon, well, I just lost $50. becomes, well, I just lost $500. I just lost $5,000. Well, you know, I won't be able to make the car payment this month. And can I tell you what seeking control apart from God reveals? When we seek control in things apart from God, ultimately those things end up controlling us. The money's never enough. 
So we have to work hard to get more. So we miss the kids' ball games. So we miss church on Sunday mornings. Uh, so we can't be home to work on our marriage because we've got to be at the office. And if I don't get it done, there won't be enough. And the money ends up controlling us. Or the marriage ends up controlling us. Maybe we're single and we're looking for that person. And our whole life is about that search. And why haven't I found them yet? Is something wrong with me? And and so we start to make decisions that are outside of God's will for us. And pretty soon that search is controlling us. And I don't think I have to tell you living on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. Because we've all got the friend, the relative, the co-worker. Or it's us who for their sense of belonging or security or comfort turned to alcohol or turned to drugs or turned to gambling. And within days, weeks, months, it was controlling them. And they were only working to feed that. So we seek control apart from God. But we also seek God on our terms. Look at the next part. Come, let us build ourselves a city. With a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now your Bible probably says to heaven. The the Hebrew word here could be translated either way. I tend to lean towards the guys who translate it heaven. It's not enough that we're going to build this city. Something tangible, something we can touch, something we can control. That's not enough. You know, God really hasn't spoken to anybody in a while. Maybe, maybe if we work on this tower, maybe we can build it up high enough that, you know, we, we've been separated from him. Maybe we can work our way back to where God is. And so the plan, as crazy as it seems to us, is we're going to build a tower that reaches that high. And that seems preposterous. How could they do that? Without our technology, without our know-how, which sometimes I don't think we're quite as smart in modern-day America as we think we are. But, can I tell you, this is what we look like every time we think we are going to work our way back to God. When we think through religion, I'm going to work my way back to where God is. And by the way, where is God? Somebody real quickly, where where does God dwell? Heaven, great, thank you. I'm I'm glad you are awake, sir, thank you. The audience participation, we'll ramp it up. We'll get more a little bit later. God is in heaven. And for many of us, our plan is to work our way there. Well, I'm going to be a good enough person. I'm going to follow enough of the rules I'm going to obey the Ten Commandments. I'm going to be baptized. I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do all this stuff, and I'm going to work my way to God. I'm going to build up this tower of religion so that I can make it to heaven. But can I tell you something? Working our way to God doesn't work at all. Let me put it to you like this. How many of you have, have a house? Like, like, a, like your, you, you have your house that you will drive to when this service is done. Or you have an apartment or just, you know, just somewhere you're going to go. Okay, great. Imagine you get home today, wherever home is. 
And there's a random person there, a man or a woman, depending on which you are, let's pretend it's the opposite, that you have never seen. You get in there and you say, okay, whoa, stranger, what are you doing in my house? Oh, you didn't know? Well, look, I, you know, I've really wanted to live in this house for a while. I've driven by a bunch of times. I think it's really beautiful and wonderful. I've always wanted to be here. Uh, and so uh, what I did was I just worked my way in, you know, because the back door, well, well, you know, you, you need to know the knob's a little loose. Okay, so I worked my way in. And now that I've worked my way here, I really think you owe it to me to let me live here with you and dwell here with you and be in your presence. You know what? Because we have such a great relationship and, and, and I've earned this. Now, what's your response to that individual going to be? Get out! And if you don't get out, the Bay St. Louis Police Department will be happy to help you get out. Or wherever you live, right? I lived in a town that did not have a police department. We had to toss people out on our own, okay? But can I tell you something? Building a tower of religion to try to get to God, working our way back into God's presence, into relationship with God, looks the same way. We're trying to come to God on our terms. Well, I did this, and I've wanted to be with you, so you owe it to me to be in relationship with me and let me be in your presence. Don't you know what a good person I was? Don't you know I was baptized? You see, heaven is God's house. And God gets to decide who comes in and how. And ultimately, coming to God on our terms ultimately, tragically, leaves us even more outside of a relationship with Him. So, we seek control apart from God. We seek God on our terms. But we also seek glory for ourselves. Look at the next part. Verse 4. Let's build a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Humanity isn't even interested in this point of saying, we're going to do this awesome thing to show uh, the glory of our Creator. No, what are they doing? They're saying, we're going to build this great city. We're going to build this massive tower. And when we do, everyone who looks at it is going to say, wow, they have accomplished something. They have done something. Look at this amazing feat. But is that what they had been created for? Think back all the way to the beginning of this series when we look back at Genesis 1. Because I know my sermons are so incredible, you remember every little part of them. What was one of the purposes behind man's creation? We were created to reflect the glory of our Creator, were we not? What these people are doing is denying the very purpose for their existence. They're pursuing their own glory instead of reflecting the glory of God. And by the way, very often this is something that we do as well. 
Maybe you've got a great talent that God has given you. Maybe you are a great businessman, which if you are, that's not a bad thing. Maybe you are a great businessman, and you've built up this uh, amazing company from the ground up, and you've really accomplished something. But let me ask you something. Do you credit God with giving you the talent, with giving you the intelligence, with giving you the ability? Or is it something that, that you've created? Is it something that, that one day, when, when you've gone on to glory, you want your name on the wall? Or parents, let me ask you something. Do you look at your children and see them as the gift from God that they are? Or are they your legacy? Do they need to be in the Hall of Fame so people know what a good parent you were? Does your son need to hit the best home runs? Does your daughter need to make the best test scores? Not because you want them to succeed and be successful people who can then do something great for the kingdom of God, but because you want people to look at your kids and then reflect them, your children, who were created to reflect God's glory, actually reflect your own. James, I wasn't going to go here, and if this goes badly, remind me not to do it in the second service, please. First Baptist Church, based St. Louis. Do we come into this building and expect things to get done in such a way and our decisions be followed in such a way and our opinion be respected in such a way and things carried out in such a way and our gift put in the offering plate in such a way that it reflects our glory and not God's? Because let me tell you something, the name on the outside of the building says Jesus. And unless you intend to die for everybody here, which is what he did to get his name up there, I don't think you're going to make the masthead. We seek glory for ourselves. But lastly, we seek our will and not God's. Look at the last thing they say. So we'll make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. This is where the ultimate problem at the Tower of Babel is revealed. What had God commanded people to do? He commanded them to spread out over the face of the earth. Fill the earth. All of it. But now what are they saying? God, look. You know, travel, uh, it's not really our thing. We hadn't really planned on this. I think it'd be better, we, we, we think respectfully, we think it'd be better if we all just stayed here. And it's outright rebellion to God's will for humanity. And it brings up an interesting question. Whose will are we seeking? Because can I tell you something? Just like the things we seek control over, just like religion, which we work at and work at, and it never fulfills us, we never get that inner peace because we ultimately can't work our way to God, seeking our own will instead of God's will never be enough. Because can I tell you something? A lot of times when we seek our will, it turns out bad. Because very often our will is not inclined toward the things of God. Our will is inclined towards sin and towards rebellion. And that brings us to the next thing we see. See, the Tower of Babel shows us what we seek. But it also shows us what we find. I think that's right. Yes! All right, good. Remember, I'm doing this without notes, and I can't remember what I put into the PowerPoint. It also shows us what we find. Look at verse 5. But 
Thank heaven the word but is in the Bible because we would be in a bad way without it. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the men were building. God is watching all of this. And the Lord said, If as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand. Now, this is where I've always had a little confusion about this story until I started getting the sermon ready. I always thought this was maybe a little, maybe kind of petty on God's part. You know, God is looking down on humanity and he even comes down to take a closer look at what they're doing and he says, oh, they're actually going to do this. We can't allow that. And I kind of always thought, well, why is God doing that? But let's look closer at what God says. Because the first thing we find is that the things we seek never fulfill us. They never fulfill us. Did I get that one right? Yes. The Lord said, and by the way, in case you're wondering why God comes down to see the city, it's not that God is like, oh, wow, that is an impressive city. Look at the architecture. Look at, oh, a tower that's going to reach all the way to heaven where I am. That is impressive. No, God is kind of like, you know how you look at your child when they bring you the finger painting, right? And they're ju- you tell them they're just the best painter in the world and they're the next Michelangelo and, you know, and, and it's just really amazing. Yeah, that's kind of how God is looking at the humans. He's kind of like, oh, look at that cute little city they're going to try and build. Let's, let's go look at this. Because he sees the rebellion behind it. And he says, if as one people in the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. God says, if this goes forward, if they continue to work together on things that are outside my will, then ultimately they're going to finish this and it won't be enough. The great city won't bring them enough control. They'll have to do more. The, big, the, the great name they want to earn for themselves by building this tower to heaven in this, this massive city... It won't be enough glory for them. They'll have to do something else. And what seems like a pretty small rebellion, it seems like a small step outside my will, it won't be enough for them. And they'll go from this sin to a worse sin to a worse sin to a worse sin. This is the problem. Remember at the end of our look at Noah, we talked about the problem remained, sin remained, and that God still said every inclination of man's heart is evil. That's what God is talking about here. He's saying, even this act of rebellion, even this step outside my will, will not satisfy. And what we find, when we step out of God's will when we seek our own glory, when we seek control in our lives apart from God, when we seek God on our terms, as we find it never, ever fulfills us. Because ultimately, all the money in the world is not enough. Ultimately, the perfect marriage isn't enough. Ultimately, religion isn't enough. Ultimately, we can never have enough glory because our sinful nature is going to crave more and more and more of it for ourselves. But luckily, we don't just find that our pursuits never fulfill us. We also find that God's will is sovereign. Won't be thwarted. I knew I was going to miss one sooner or later, but look what happens. Verse 7. Come, 
Let us, that's the Trinity working, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. This part always confused me. Well, why would God do that? Why didn't he just go down and say, hey, people, this isn't going to end well. It won't be enough for you. This rebellion will only lead to more rebellion. Uh, This pursuit of glory for yourselves is only going to lead to a desire for even more. You'll do worse things. You'll fall right back into the sin that we saw before the flood that I was trying to get rid of. You need to stop. Why just confuse their language? Because it's not enough only for God to get... God doesn't just want them to stop doing the bad. He wants them to begin to fulfill His will for them. And so this isn't God being petty. This isn't God being cruel and saying with kind of a chuckle and a half smile, hey, watch this, we're going to go down and confuse their language. This will be hilarious. That's not what's happening here. What's happening here is God is saying, I'm going to keep them from committing more and more evil. I'm going to, commit, I'm going to prevent them from spending all of their existence pursuing these things that will never fulfill them, that will never be enough. I'm going to protect them from that. Not only am I going to put a stop to that, I'm going to make sure that they begin to fulfill my will that I have laid out for them. You see, no matter how much we try, We can't make it outside of God's will. Oh, we can rebel against it, certainly. We can. Now, we can be like Moses and beg God to change his will for us, like Moses did when God came to him and and Moses said, Lord, just please send somebody else. We can be like Jonah when God's will was spoken to him and Jonah ran away from that and Jonah said, look, God, I appreciate what you're calling me to do, but... Or we can be like Satan, and we can outright rebel against God's will and say, you can't tell me what to do. I'm the God of my life. You can't sit on this throne. And we can put our will in outright opposition to God's. But can I tell you something? In every one of those cases, God's will ultimately, eternally willed out. God willed out. God's will was sovereign. Because can I tell you something? When we say, God, I'm not equipped, you need to send somebody else. God himself has already equipped us to do what he is calling us to do. When we're like Jonah and we try to run away from God's will, God's going to pursue us. He's going to put it in our hearts. He's going to get our attention. And he's going to bring us back to what his will is. And if we, like Satan, persist in stubborn rebellion, can I tell you where that ultimately lands us? It lands us in the judgment and wrath of God and in a place called hell, where we spend an eternity separated from God, where ultimately God's will for sin to be punished comes to fruition. Ultimately, God's will wins out. And I never thought about it this way, reading this story. But that's a good thing for us. You say, Stephen, how how is this a good thing for us? I mean, if you even look to the end of the story, 
Over in verse 9, you find out that the the Lord confused the language of the whole world and he scattered them over the face of the earth. The the great irony is the people were going to build this city to keep from being scattered and ultimately it's what caused them to be scattered. How is God's will winning out in that way a good thing for them and how is it a good thing for us? We see the things we seek to control inevitably end up controlling us. You see, our attempts to come to God on our terms leave us out of relationship with Him. You see, seeking glory for ourselves denies the meaning and purpose of life, which is to reflect the glory of our Creator. And setting our own will against God's is an exercise in futility because God's will is ultimately, eternally sovereign. And that's where the good news is. Because can I tell you, God in his love and in his mercy has set his sovereign will on our redemption. You see, right here at mankind's collective lowest point, God is scattering them to put a plan in motion. You see, in the next chapter, which we will look at next week, God's going to call one man, just one And from that man, God is going to build a family. And from that family, God is going to build a nation. And from that nation is going to come the means of our redemption. Jesus of Nazareth. Because you see, unlike us, Jesus never sought control of his own life, but instead surrendered control completely to his heavenly Father, even though that surrender of control meant that Jesus would one day go to the cross. You see, Jesus would show us how to come to God, not on our terms, but on God's terms, because he himself would be the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus never sought glory for himself, but only always gave glory to his heavenly father and because of that was actually lifted to the seat of highest honor and highest praise for all of eternity where he sits at the right hand of God the father and Jesus never lived in his own will but rather lived perfectly every moment in the will of his heavenly father even in the face of the cross saying Lord not my will but thine be done you see every failing and shortcoming in humanity that the Tower of Babel reveals to us also reveals to us that Jesus Christ would be uniquely qualified to be our perfect Savior and that it was God's will for Him to be that Savior. And so God's will being sovereign, God's will winning out, would ultimately be a good thing for us. The question is, having now seen the failings inherent in humanity and the goodness and perfection inherent in Christ, are we willing to put our faith and trust in Him as that perfect Savior? Let's pray together.